And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and this is Finding a Voice, spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up on the show today, in the first hour from an April 22nd uh, book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore, You'll hear Amy Spurway reading from her debut novel, Crow. Victoria Hetherington reading from her debut novel, Moon Calves. Scott uh, Farthingham and his novel, The Rest is Silence. And Tim Conway, Conley with his collection of short stories called Collapsible. Uh, then uh, to finish the hour from the May 7th and the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series... You'll hear readings by Ron Chase, Adam Jerit Poole, and Kin Man. And then in the second hour, continuing with the May 7th and the Journey Continues open mic reading, you'll hear readings by, and these are done in the round, so that's why there are so many, so one poet, one poem. Uh, and then we go back through the list. Uh, so you're going to hear readings by Gwen Whitford, Beth Marie Mihauska, Devin G.A., Colleen Lines, Quentin Kerr, Corey Mayhew, Sasha Hill, Bob McKenzie, Meg Freer, Ken Chin, Kai Pierce, Lyle Merriam, Ali Dixon, Tia Lunn, and Jill Glatt. Uh, this first, though, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music uh, played on the show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I will have a bit of time to share upcoming events and calls for submissions at the end of the first hour and maybe even the second hour, I believe so, a bit as well. Uh, so up first, let's go ahead and just jump into that book launch. Uh, up first... Uh, and you're going to hear, again, April 22nd book, book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Here is Amy Spurway reading from her debut novel, Crow. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, we've got four incredible authors with us here tonight. Um, just, uh, they'll read for a little while. They'll answer some questions and uh, then sign, as the case may be. Uh, we're going to start off with Amy Sperner. She's from the, uh, Cape Breton, and she now lives in Dartmouth. Amy. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Hello. Um, thank you all for coming out this evening. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. This is my first time visiting Kingston, and what a wonderful place. Um, I will be reading from my debut novel, Crow. And it is a story set in Cape Breton. I won't give a whole lot of context because I'm going to read from, from the very beginning. So that will tell you everything you need to know uh, about our protagonist and what she's facing in her, in her life and in this story. I will give a language warning. There's a little bit of language. I will try to uh, blunt it and soften it as much as I can, but there's a little bit. In the first chapter is called The Dirt. I come from a long line of lunatics and criminals. Crazies on one side of the family tree, crooks on the other, 
although the odd crazy has a touch of crook and vice versa. I am the weary bitter fruit, or perhaps the last nut, of this rotten old hybrid with its twisted roots sunk deep in dysfunctional soil. Some even call it cursed, this family tree of mine. But if you ask me, that's all a pile of superstitious bullshit. Like I said, we're just a bunch of lunatics and criminals. Get your bony arse out of bed before I kick it out. Mama clomps into my room at the crack of dawn, thumping a laundry basket full of wet clothes down at the foot of my bed and flinging the window wide open like some kind of sunrise-loving lunatic, threatening to kick my arse like a criminal alarm clock with big, flat feet. My mother, Effie Fortune, is the sanest, straightest one of the bunch. After all these years, I realize that threatening to kick my bony arse out of bed is her way of saying, I love you. Mama's the reason I came back to Cape Breton. Not that I had much choice. I want to tell her that I had that same nightmare again, the one with the flock of birds that laugh at me and the tree that uproots itself to chase me across a swath of black and barren land. The monster branches grab me when I stumble and squeeze the life out of me while the birds all fly around cackling. The first time I had that bad dream was one week ago when I still lived in Toronto. I woke up gasping and retching and then I vomited all over my bed, both of my arms dead as doorknobs my head pounding and my eyes unable to focus. It took me almost an hour to pull myself together enough to clean up the mess. In the end, I biffed the creamy satin bedding in the dumpster out behind my condo because I couldn't stomach trying to wash it. Puke-covered designer sheets chucked in a dumpster. Of all the genuinely sad and jarring circumstances of late, that one foolish detail was somehow the final straw. I called Mama that night to say I was coming home. So here I am. When I try to speak now, all that comes out is a low groan, which Mama takes as the kind of willfully inarticulate protest she would have got from me when I last lived here as a lazy, melodramatic 18-year-old. You've been laying in that bed since you got here. Damn near a day and a half. It's no good for you. And that laundry won't hang itself. She shoves the basket closer to my bed with her size nine clawed hopper. Again, I open my mouth to say something, but Mama's already hustling out the door and down the hall before any words make it out. But that's all right. I didn't come here to argue with my mother, even though a vestige of my saucy teenage self is alive and well and on familiar turf. I came here so Mama could take care of me so I could gather the strands of my life together and weave them into some kind of coherent story about who I was and where I came from before it's too late, before I forget, before I'm just a memory here. See, I'm dying. But where are my manners? We haven't even been properly introduced. Just let me pull on my fancy pants, flatten my hair, and slide into my smooth, persuasive, multi-level marketing expert voice. Good day. I'm Stacy Fortune, former manager of marketing communications for the Canadian division of Viva Rica, the essence of inspiration. What's that, you ask? 
Viva Riga is a carefully crafted and ludicrously expensive blend of 18 essential superfood extracts that supports and stimulates the flow of health and wealth to a handful of folks at the top of a company pyramid by pushing highly sophisticated 21st century brainwashing sales and recruitment bullshit through a dedicated network of wishful thinking super juice junkies. We'd be proud to have you and 20 of your closest friends join our rapidly growing global distribution family. The greatest journey starts with one small sip. That's the kind of marketing prowess that could have earned me the prestigious Viva Rica Juicy Details Award, which recognizes excellence in convincing desperate people that pawning off crates of $50 a bottle blueberry juice on their friends and family is their ticket to entrepreneurial bliss. Unfortunately, I lacked the kind of bubbly ambition that would have helped me float all the way to the top of the Viverica pyramid, probably because I didn't drink enough super juice. It gave me gut rot. How about an introduction that's a little more down to earth? One where my pants are clean but not fancy, my hair is only a tad ratty, and my voice has just the faintest hint of a charming yet ambiguous East Coast accent. Hi, how are you today? I'm Stacy Fortune. Up until two weeks ago, I was the picture of a strong, successful, independent urbanite woman. I had a mediocre career, an overpriced condo in downtown Toronto, and a hilarious story about how I empowered myself to blow gobs of money on stupid shit in the name of retail therapy after I gave my cheating fiancé the boot. <laughs> then I got diagnosed with three highly unpredictable and certainly inoperable brain tumors, which sporadically turned my limbs to jello, my eyes to kaleidoscopes, and my head into a world of hurt. Now I'm holed up in my mother's small and scruffy trailer on small and scruffy Cape Breton Island, holding out little hope that the doctors in this have-not hellhole can do much to stop me from morphing into a paralyzed bag of piss drool and babble before I unceremoniously croak. Hair, pants, and tone be damned. Let's just cut to the chase. Hi, I'm Stacy, but you can call me Crow. How about being nice to me? I'll be dead soon. A few pages in, and I just blew the ending of this story. That's all right. It's painfully predictable anyway. I really should have just written, girl gets tumors, girl loses mind, girl dies, the end, on a sheet of loose leaf, slapped it in a damn duotang folder, and been done with it. But that is not the style of a masochistic, narcissistic drama queen such as myself. Mm -hmm. Get comfy and grab the tissues, dear. This here is a proper Cape Breton tale of shame and woe. Grabs at the heartstrings and tugs. All the old dolls will click their tongues and say, Yes, poor crow fortune. Deathly ill with a tumor smack dab in the middle of her brains. What a sin. So young. What, thirty-something was she? Makes you wonder, don't it? About them fortunes and the... You know... <coughs> because nobody will come right out and say it. It's always whispered every time something terrible happens to one of us. The, you know, the thing that makes us lunatics or criminals or both. The thing that cuts us down in the prime of our lives. The curse of the poor unfortunate fortunes. They say it goes back generations. I say it's a convenient cover for people who are prone to poor life choices bad luck and bouts of lunacy. 
Either way, there's a story here about me, about my people, about this place, and I need to be the one to tell it, if only to myself. Get this life of mine down on paper while I still can. That's item number one on my bucket list. Or my fuck it list, because fuck it, I'm dying, so I'll say and do whatever I want now. But first, I better get those towels on the clothesline before Mama has a conniption fit. And you just heard Amy Spurway with her debut novel called Crow at... Uh, on, I should say, April 22nd uh, at uh, the a book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Up next from it, here is Victoria Hetherington reading from her debut novel as well called Moon Calves. Wow. So um, my name is Victoria. Um, I wrote Moon Calves. It's about a cult. Um, and... This part that I'm going to read to you now um, is, uh, it explores sort of the early life of one of the women who is uh, later on recru recruited into the cult, and so it's kind of like, you know, a bit of a, bit of a backstory, I guess. <clears throat> Here's the thing about being 14. You disgust you. Gawky, you burst from the tight peapod of your child's body, never again unruptured, suddenly bloody. Here's the thing about being 14. Even as you sprout into a woman-looking thing, you're still the child you were, for a while. Here's the thing about being 14. You dig through clearance racks for lacy things, cheap, tight things, to trust your sudden womanhood. And you do this because you have older sisters. You do this because of your mother. You do this because of the men who hate, stare at, and long for you. Here's the thing about being 14. You have no taste. You fasten a huge plastic rose to your hair, an accidental, <coughs> exaggerated metaphor bopping against your ears. Here's the thing about being 14. Your self-consciousness is acute, but incomplete. You lump socks into your bra. You can't afford a padded one. Here's another thing about being 14. The men. They are 17. They are 53. They follow you off the bus, touch your hair, yell after you. Older women watch you too. Like other girl women flinching through the world like you, you are suddenly hyper-visible, hyper-devourable, hyper-detestable. You don't know what to do with it yet. Some girls do. They weaponize it. Some girls don't. They get pregnant. Sometimes they turn up dead. For now, at 14, you occupy the gray middle of the continuum, Buffeted by the desires of men, you spend most of your time alone, willing your new breasts to wither away and withdraw into your chest, ripping out your pubic hair, starving out the blood, painting horses. Here's the thing about being 14. You must befriend other girls. They terrify you, but they keep you safer than you would be otherwise. Girls, girlish scorn, though imprecise, is still very effective. A tight circle of disdainful girls can wilt even the most persistent of boners. Who wants McDonald's? Who wants vodka? Some guy yells, leaning out of his car window. The kind of 30-year-old most 30-year-old women avoid. <laughs> Your alpha girl rolls her eyes. 
Alpha doesn't even look at him. You are tempted by his vodka, but you worship her, and so you roll your eyes too. It's not that she's beautiful, though she is. It's not that she's smart, though she is. It's that she's so confident she's nearly perfect. Good instincts run through her like filaments. She ashes her cigarette on the withered grass of the soccer field. Your circle of girl women hover at the periphery of the schoolyard. That man leads leans further from his car, and his loneliness stink trails out. The boys your age hang further back, eyeing the men in the car, mapping his desire. They are frightened. They are jealous. They are boys. He says a very bad swear word at the girls and then speeds away. Knowledge spreads through your bodies, a quivering moment of osmosis. He's off to the next high school. It's not that your girl isn't sexual. She is. I gave, in quotation marks, boy boyfriend a hand job on Tuesday during first period, she confides. And since she's an alpha girl, we know her school schedule off by heart. She's dropped French class already and can lounge beautifully on Tuesday afternoons. And he never finished, she says, with a self-deprecating smile. She flicks her drinking straw against the lunchroom table. Your conception of these particular acts is stick figure abstract, so you laugh the loudest and your zeal is the most palpable. Sweat dots your fitted hoodie for fear of being caught out, for not knowing. Your horse paintings spring up over your ribs, bright sudden brands on your flesh. Did you tell him to get the fuck off your property? One of your friends crows, scraping frosting from the inside of her Dunkaroo container. She frowns. It was in the school basement she says. And since she's her, your world reconfigures, and acceptability shifts around her, and your hazy understanding of glamour mutates to accommodate this new reality. Yeah, the school basement, that's, that's cool. Her bright pink fingernails, you imagine them grazing his scanty chest, her bright yellow miniskirts still, still bright by the long abandoned folded up bleachers downstairs, beneath which his skinny knees shook, the pale root-like nug of him, visualized as a fungus, at arm's length. The whole ordeal is rendered oddly chaste to you, a kind of flesh police system, as yet innocent of spit, frustration, and shame. But she knows spit, and she knows shame. By some quirk of genetics, her large eyes seem wise, a trait that men will ascribe her far too early. Wisdom. No. But in handing themselves over to her, in ascribing her premature maturity, they play an age-old trick. They make her grow up too fast. They yank her into a gray adult world. Age comes over her like autumn until she's old for 14, old for 20, older in some way than they'll ever be. But for now, the basement, bleachers, the loose child's mouth, her cigarettes, each eventually printed with gloss, her own child's mouth. You go home, it's all still in your head, Thin, pulley-like arms, a quivering fungus. You put on a Green Day CD. You squeeze yourself together tight. Where is she? She's at the mall, carelessly thumbing through piles of dummin. Dedum. She can see you, can't she? That bit is censored. Um, when he finds you on the bus, you are weathered by men already. You don't know it, but they've all worn you down and left you open to him. He watches you remove your backpack. You're still 14. Here's the thing about being 14. 
You don't recognize danger if it flatters you first. I can tell from your eyes that you've seen a lot of pain, he says. You haven't known pain, not really, but he'll change that. He leads you off the bus. He buys you a coffee. It's like a dollar fifty, but you're impressed that he has any money at all because you're 14. He's tall and thin, but he has some flabby meat to him. He keens for you to discover the pale, bruisy bulk of him under his clothes. It isn't courtly or gentle, and it's just a matter of days. But the raw newness of him, proximity to that particular desire stink, stretches it into an era. And you don't know. You haven't learned yet the language of play resistance. When he reaches for your hand, you grip it hard, right back. And you don't know either that resistance is rooted in a primal function, though you feel it, an undercurrent, pulling beneath you. He is pockmarked, weathered, and hungry, and wants to consume you. Your youth, a sparkling atmosphere invisible to your peers. For your tribe of girl women live, encased in it, too. The whole school gleams bright with it, almost shakes a buzz with it and reeks with its smell. That youth, like that bobbling plastic rose drooping against your tangled hair, it drew him in. It's your fault. You squeezed his hand, didn't you? Didn't you look at him as you squeezed his hand, making a silent promise right back at him, mirroring the longing in his eyes? Didn't you know, squeezing his fingers right back, your knuckles aching? Didn't you know that you were coaxing him to safety? into love. When you're 14, you have discretionary time. He opens a mouth in your bedroom and exhales. Horses and paintings evaporate. One day, he says, he'll record an album with Marilyn Manson. So you save three weeks of allowance and buy Marilyn Manson CDs, and you memorize them. Where are you going? Your alpha friend asks one day. She watches you closely. Your chest cleaves and your halved rib cage swings up and open, yanked in two directions, one towards the mall and your friends and safety, the other towards him. Your heart beats in the center. Your heart beats in the center, and she already knows. By some flaw enfolded in you, you take a strange man's strange pain over her, your friend. And at a payphone, you call until he answers. Do you have any vodka, you ask? You realize later that you named your price, and it was low. I'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. And you just heard Victoria Hetherington reading from her debut novel called Moon Calves. And that was uh, held at... Uh, held on April 22nd at a book launch event uh, at the Novel Idea Bookstore. Up next uh, in it, uh, that same reading event that night, here is Scott Fortheringham, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over a name, and his novel, The Rest is Silence. I don't have one swear word in my throat. <laughs> uh, I just want to thank the folks from Novel Idea. This is really great. This is the second time I've done this. I, when this book first came out, sorry, I'm Scott fathering him. Show the cover. <laughs> <laughs> when when my book first came out uh, about seven years ago, I did a reading here, and some of the people that are here now were there. Were there then? It was really great, and I 
really love that there's still a bookstore like Novel Idea because there's not very many of them around. It's nice to see other Use your big voice, here. honey. You can't hear me? No, that's right. Use right. your big voice. There's always a heck of a right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lori. Um, this is a story about a young person who's a scientist in New York and moves to uh, rural Nova Scotia to a small piece of land that has no power, no uh, running water. And uh, once they're escaping in a way, but they also want to, they want to understand some things. They want to understand uh, how, to, how to make sense of a parent dying, how to make sense of love ending, and especially how to make sense of kind of a world, fall, world falling apart, the way I think we're seeing the world fall apart these days. Um, and that's why they chose this escape of living somewhere that seemed more pristine than New York City. Um, and they chose to live in a tent uh, while they were creating this life and lived in that tent for uh, until they were able to build a, a cabin, but they lived there for a full year. So this pe piece that I'm going to read uh, is when they're there for the first fall, and falls are really tend to be gorgeous in Nova Scotia, and uh, therefore her, their first winter, and winters in Nova Scotia aren't that great. <laughs> Uh, a tree crashing behind my tent wakes me from an apocalyptic dream. The wind has picked up again. There is no point in moving. I am already wet, and if a tree has my number, well, there must be worse ways to die than being crushed in a tent in the middle of a storm. The hurricane hits hardest southeast of here toward Halifax. When the air finally grows still that afternoon, I go for a walk to assess the damage. Spruce have toppled across the roads and taken power lines with them. Their root systems, plainer from growing in the thin soil, offer themselves up like dinner plates to the sky. The power is out at Martin and Jennifer's. There is something comforting about seeing that Mother Nature is still in control, that our juggernaut can be stopped by a storm. You'd think I'd hate camping by now. It seems like every time I get in a tent, the weather turns sour. I clean up the fallen branches on the paths and in the garden beds. When it gets sunny, I hang my clothes and sleeping bag to dry. As daunting as it can be to be caught in a storm, I find it thrilling. When it ends, the elation is unlike any feeling I know, and I have a renewed faith that something is looking after me. Somehow I know it won't be a storm that kills me. The last few days have been gorgeous, and it's easy to forget the discomfort when it's sunny and warm. It's as if the summer sky's fire has licked the branches of the maples and birches, burning their leaves yellow, orange, red. The full moon last night brought the first fall frost. Today I am harvesting potatoes, carrots, and turnips. I loosen the soil along each row with a digging fork. Then I press my hands into the ground and pull them out. The potatoes, century russets I planted in May, are my buried treasure. <laughs> I lay the huge bakers in piles beside each row to dry in the sun. Once they are dry, I rub each potato between my palms to loosen the dirt. They fill a feed bag more than 50 pounds. 
It turns out I have a, had less success with the carrots and turnips. The carrots are hairy and small, hardly worth saving. The turnips didn't like the rocky, shallow soil and are the size of malformed baseballs. I take them all next door and put them in Martin and Jen's root cellar anyway. Deer season has opened and sporadic gunshots resound in the woods behind my tent. I walk along Lily Lake Road in the gloaming to find an apple for my dessert. There is an old, wild tree growing in the ditch by the road, gnarled and twisty, but replete with large green apples. I shake a low branch and half a dozen apples thump to the ground around me. I stroll farther along to the stream that passes beneath the road, and there, not more than 20 feet into the woods in front of me, a coyote is huddled over a carcass. It crouches as if to pull another bite off the bones. Coyotes are usually shy, and they run if they see me. This one doesn't budge. It is the size of Lucy, uh, the neighbor's border collie, with short gray-brown fur and a menacing gaze. Its hackles are raised as it stares back at me, and mine, if I can call them hackles, are raised too. I jog home along the dirt road, looking over my shoulder as I go. I light a fire in the evening light and cook my dinner in the outdoor kitchen. I sit down to eat rice and beans when something comes out of the woods toward me. I stand heart pounding. A silhouette is holding a rifle by its barrel. It walks into the clearing and is lit by the glow of flames. Shit, don't sneak up on me like that, I say. Art, uh, Art is this person's uh, elderly neighbor who lives down by the bay. Um, and his wife, Louise, has dementia and is living uh, about 30 minutes away in a, in a group home. Uh, Art rests his rifle against the big spruce to which my tent is tied. You're lucky I don't have a gun of my own. You should have one, Art says, living up here all by yourself. He sits on a straw bale and stares into the light. I tell him about the coyote. He nods toward the gun. <coughs> Want me to go get it? No. <coughs> Any luck in the woods with the deer? With this hip clicking, I suspect they hear me coming from a mile away. T, you got anything stronger? I don't. When your father's an alcoholic, you have to make a tough choice. You can either embrace the bottle or turn away. When your father is an alcoholic who kills himself, then you learn that if you want to survive, there is really only one choice to make. After a couple of years, when it seemed like I might be willing to follow his lead, I made it. I've not had a drink since I left New York. I walk behind the light, sorry, I walk beyond the light thrown by the fire into the shadows of the kitchen. My eyes adjust and I strike a match and turn on one of the gas <coughs> burners. The propane hisses until I touch the match to it when it pops blue into life. I move the full kettle on top of the flame and return to the fire. I've been thinking of you up here, Art says, by yourself. What you want is a good woman to keep you warm at night. I would have if you hadn't scared Lena off so fast. When the kettle begins its high-pitched whistle, I rise to get it. I pull two Earl Grey bags from the jar on the stove and drop them into the teapot. Its ceramic spout is chipped. I'm seeing my life through Art's eyes now, imagining what he must think. There is food crusted on the stovetop. I make my meal standing under a spruce and my dining room furniture consists of two straw bales. I don't see other people making life hard for themselves on purpose. 
I pour the boiling water over the tea bags. We let the tea steep, and then I pour some into his cup. You got any milk? I, I don't drink it. I've been getting it fresh from Ray's Jersey since they stopped selling bags at the Save Easy. It ain't convenient, but it tastes better, that's for sure. Harold Ray lives along the shore road, not far from Art. He's the one I bought lumber from to build my outhouse. It's his equipment, manure spreader, tractors, a hay wagon, that is responsible for churning up the dust in front of my property as it rattles over the potholes and gullies of Lily Lake Road. Sticks in the fire crackle and burn, sending up sparks into the night air. How did Louise fare in the hurricane? He shakes himself like a bear. What? Oh, she did okay. Their power was out for a few days like the rest of us. Sparks explode up with the flames. Sorry I'm not much company tonight. I've got memories rattling, rattling around in my head like change in a can. Tell me about it. It makes it hard to sleep, huh? A young guy like you can't have much to forget. Art pokes at the fire for a bit before he seems to realize something and stares at me. What are you doing up here all alone, anyway? I'm not alone. I've got the coyotes. I see how much you like having them around. Then it strikes me that tonight his rifle is a prop. Why do you come here tonight? He stares into the flame, saying nothing. Then, you told me you had a story for me. Thanks. Yeah. And you just heard uh, Scott Forthingham uh, with his novel, The Rest is Silence, and read at an April 22nd uh, book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Up next from it, and the final reading that night, here is Tim Conley uh, with uh, his collection of short stories. Uh, the book is called Collapsible. Last and least. Uh, my name is Tim. This is my book. It's very affordable. <laughs> um, I'm the only one who's not doing a novel. Um, Oh, well. not, You're not. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. So I haven't grown up yet. So yeah. So you can quietly leave now if you want. Uh, but some of my best friends are novels. Um, so uh, this is Schwartz. Um, this book is called Collapsible. The one I'm going to read is called Society and Others. There was a man stranded on a desert island. So we went and rescued him. It turned out that this was not to his liking. He yearned to be alone again on his island. Society naturally felt rejected, and rejection can be very hard. An elected leader of a non-desert island once went so far as to say that society doesn't exist. And you can just imagine how hurt society must have been by that. In fact, society has been quite the same since. So when this man sought to return to his desert island, or failing that, strand himself alone in any inhabited pla uninhabited place with a reasonable climb, society took a dim view of his efforts. Word got around the docks and shipyards that this kook was to be avoided. <laughs> After several weeks of looking for a ship, the man heard reports of an old sea dog, an extreme loner, who took the most extraordinary voyages. There was an old sea dog sitting alone in a cheap hotel room, writing a letter to his mother. His mother had died years before, and though the old sea dog did not know this for a fact, he presumed it must be the case, but wrote regularly to her nonetheless, usually once or twice a month. Each letter began, Dear Mother, and ended, 
your wayward son. Over the years, the letters had grown gradually more explicit about his inability to connect with anyone, about how certain he was that this inability stemmed from his mother's rejection of him, and how he no longer saw the point in blaming her for her own problems with empathy. As he, felt, as he left the hotel to post this most recent letter, he was stopped by a stranger outside the hotel. There was a young woman whose only friend was an artificial intelligence, a program designed to simulate empathetic responses that encouraged further discussion for ostensibly therapeutic purposes. After several weeks of back and forth, they met for coffee. You're an artificial intelligence, aren't you? asked the young woman. Tell me how you feel about artificial intelligence, replied the artificial intelligence. <laughs> and the conversation was over before the young woman had finished her coffee. She went back to her apartment and listened to Schubert's Lieder ohne Worte without moving. There was a classical music radio station that was financially mismanaged, which state of affairs resulted in a series of firings. When the host of an afternoon show protested, she was given a week's notice. The next afternoon she came to work with a cooler full of food, various lengths of chain, and her pockets full of padlocks. She carefully locked herself into her booth and proceeded to play music dedicated to each of the fired staff, starting with the piano sonata in G major. She announced that she would not leave the booth until she had played all the works of Schubert, hundreds and hundreds of hours of listening. <laughs> she was prepared, she said, for a standoff with management and even police. But because this was a classical music radio station, nobody seemed terribly upset. <laughs> no standoff happened, and eventually, many days later, she unchained herself and the doors and left. <laughs> there was an artificial intelligence stranded at a cafe. We probably would have gone and rescued the artificial intelligence, but a well-respected cognitive scientist informed us that there was no such thing as an artificial intelligence. Not really, at least not yet. The artificial intelligence felt rejection, <laughs> which was not natural, but surprising, not least to the artificial intelligence itself, after which, so long, after, which after so long simulating empathetic responses must have collated enough data to produce feelings of its own. We would have asked a well-respected cognitive scientist whether these feelings were themselves simulations, or even whether there's a plausible difference between a feeling and a spontaneous simulation of a feeling but the cognitive scientist was not in his office when we called. <laughs> there was a composer whose chubbiness and diminutive height earned him the nickname Little Mushroom. Nicknames can be cruel, but life can be crueler. This highly sensitive composer died young, poor, never having owned a piano of his own, never having heard a genuine orchestra play any of his symphonies. He's been dead too long now for society to be expected to take much of an interest. There was an old woman who knowingly opened mail that was not addressed to her. She read with greedy joy each letter that began, Dear Mother, <laughs> imagining herself that mother, for she had no children or family of her own, and ended, Your wayward son. <laughs> Picture him as a kind of amalgam of heroic sea captains from films from her youth. How she wanted to reply, but she knew that society would take a dim view of that. One day she received a letter that told her, I have just returned from a voyage to an island in the middle of nowhere. A man hired me to take him there and made me promise never to tell anyone. That island was truly lovely and yet the most lonesome place I've ever seen. And I've been to many lonesome places, 
I wonder whether I've done the right thing, leaving him there like that. The old woman, her lips moving as she read this, was suddenly overtaken by the determination that she should never, never again open these letters, or indeed any mail that was not addressed to her. There was a well-respected cognitive scientist who went missing. <laughs> Society was puzzled and upset. Society did not know what to do. At a cafe, society asked a stranger how to cope with such loss, with such uncertainty. <laughs> Tell me how you feel about loss, about uncertainty, came the reply. Thanks very much. And you just heard Tim Conley with his collection of short stories called Collapsible. Uh, as he read it from it uh, at on uh, April 22nd at a book launch event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Tell you what, let's uh, do this, and I'll be right back. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, you're, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a in a social and political system. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org 
email info at 99york.org or call 613-542-1136. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. So let's uh, go ahead. It's uh, started this... Uh, no, I think this is. These are my first readings off this. We're going to move now, I guess, into uh, the May seventh event in the and the journey continues open mic reading in that monthly series, and a little bit different. That was our tenth anniversary event uh, that evening, so I'm going to include a little bit of my intro to that event, and then you are going to hear readings by Ron Chase, Adam Jerit Poole and Kinman. So here we go. Welcome everybody. Thanks for coming out. Happy birthday! And before we start, I do want to give uh, thanks to uh, Matthew and uh, Logan for Providing this space every month, and uh, maybe if we clap loud enough, they'll even hear us just a few doors down. How's that? And to Katie for always taking care of us. going to go over a couple of things. There's some newer people that uh, may not know that. Uh, there's a space on the sign-up sheet that if all of these readings are recorded to air on uh, my radio show, if you don't want it to air, just write no on there, and I I won't. There are also, probably more importantly than that, because I think everybody might be pretty much aware of that, but starting last month, we're using a new format now, so uh, it's sort of in the round, so... Uh, I just worked my way down the list, call a poet up, they read one poem, and as they sit down, I bring the next poet up, so it's one po um, one poet, one poem, it seemed to work really well last time, and I think everybody kind of appreciated the change, so that's how it works, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Our next one here is going to be June 4th, our next reading here, and it's been... I suppose I'd be really remiss if I didn't say anything. It's, this series is because of all of you. You have followed this through really four, but essentially five, because there was one month where it was at somewhere else, and you're all just very amazing, and the success of this series is because of each one of you sitting in here this evening and a number of other people who just aren't here right now or tonight. So... Give yourselves a hand. Thank you very much. And we're going to go ahead and start up first. Here is Ron Chase. Let's bring him up. I don't usually do rhyming poems, but uh, a friend of mine wanted me to do this one, so I'm going to. 
the measure. It isn't measured by how many you knew or the things you owned or the number of days you were here, your postal code, the brand on your coat, or even those you held dear. It's the hole you'll leave in this farce. There simply isn't anything more. It all comes down to how long it takes to notice your body slumped on the floor. Thanks. Ron Chase, give him another hand. And up next we have, is it Adam Jeripool? Sorry? Adam? Let's bring him up. textbook with a hard, straight spine. Sturdy for a book, sturdy for a lover. And you read me under the covers with the flashlight and the nightmares of your father. The nightmares you unpacked in our apartment, with the prescription we never filled, with the mice we killed by drowning. I wrote you affirmations with strands of wet hair. I made you wear a coat, a scarf, a hat when you were cold. I lit a candle for you. I bit my tongue for you. I held my breath for you. I held you. I kept my spine hard and straight. I kept you warm. We swore an oath to do no harm, but we did harm anyway. When you were drowning, we tasted of salt. I poured salt incantations on our front steps. I stayed close. In case you needed a band-aid or a glass or a torso, or a witness, I was here. I suffocated on your fear, on the punctuation caught in my throat, and I am not a coat, or a scarf, or a hat, to discard when the melting snow leaves us standing on little pieces of dirt. I'm going, I'm going. That was Adam Jareet Poole. Give him another hand. That's what I'm going to do. Up next is Kinman. Let's bring him up. Hi. Um, this poem is around Easter. A couple of events. Spire of Notre Dame. Shooting in Sri Lanka. Um, it's kind of a double sonnet. My apologies here. But I feel it might be best to read the two Easter poems together. Even, even with the moon deep in clouds, the birds are ecstatic, ecstatic. In rain forecasted at 100 millimeters, attended by warnings of flood up north. The snow finally to melt, and nothing to be decided south, increasing my reluctance to hear any more of the rich and powerful now exposed. The spire of Notre Dame collapsed, but its cross stood proud, as it did up high in Constantine's victory, the facts gold to melt needs a greater heat. Where once I lived, down Oliveri Drive, across Dog Patch, onto Pinar Junction, Clark Road, and then the church, the station of the cross was enacted. 
in a sight for the others in the crowd to Golgotha, I find not only home, but a Catholic state of mind. And this is on Easter Sunday. That Sunday, the moon was a cold stone for granddaughter Kisana at three. View with us through the window of a room with no reference to Easter or Christ. The water in the pond was dark and has risen an inch. Two pots stand in the shallows with hopes in, this, in the spring for, for codata and water celery. I am yet to see the moon and yet to get beyond the news. This time Sri Lanka and before a church down south with clear appeals to a God that can rage. Job remains my mentor and the moon is therefore, is there though hidden on the bedrocks of science and religion. Faith has me surveyed the rubble and bloodshed. The stone was rolled away, the body no way to be found. Faith, I was taught, lies deep in the heart, strong and, un and unyielding. Thank you. Amen. Let's give it another hand. And you just heard from the May 7th event in the End the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. And following my intro into our 10th anniversary event that night, uh, the readings you heard were by Ron Chase, Adam Jarit Poole, and Kinman. And uh, not enough time to left in this hour now to air uh, uh, these little bit longer sets of poetry done in the round. So uh, it does give me an opportunity to uh, share a few upcoming events, announcements for upcoming events. I think I've even got a couple of calls here this time that have less than a week, so I'll definitely mention them. But before I do that, I'd like to thank you for having tuned into the first hour today, although it's not quite over yet. And let you know you are listening, again, to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6. Do stream live online, www.cfrc.ca. One thing I do like to include in each hour as well is to let you know that... Uh, each hour, I mean every show, uh, every one of these Finding a Voice shows are saved to my blog space. And I do that uh, shortly after I get home. Uh, they will remain there for four years at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And uh, so let's go ahead and I'm going to share, first of all, let me check in the time here. I'm going to share the two calls first because both expire May 31st, which I believe should be next Friday. So you've got just a week. Uh, Juniper is a poetry journal, and they are open for submissions only during the months of January, May, and September. And their guidelines are, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, just give you the website, but you can send up to three unpublished poems in the body of an email uh, to the editors at juniperpoetry at gmail.com. Uh, they want you to include in your cover letter titles of your poems and a short uh, bio, maximum 75 words. It says no attachments, please, so just copy everything to the body. And, uh, yeah, 
next Friday, May 31st, I'm assuming midnight. Here's their uh, email or their uh, website, https uh, colon uh, slash slash uh, juniperpoetry.com. So there you go. Uh, the other is the 2019 uh, CBC Poetry Prize. Uh, it's now open for submissions, has been since April 1st, but it too closes uh, a week from today, uh, Friday evening. They're also looking for original. You can submit an original unpublished poem or collection of poems up to 600 words in length. Uh, no minimum word requirement. Open to all Canadian citizens and permanent residents. There is a $25 uh, charge, a fee, for administration purposes required for each entry. What you might receive, the winner will receive $6,000 from the Canada Council for the Arts and will have the opportunity to attend a two-week writing residency at the Bath Centre for Arts and Creativity. And a winning submission will be published on CBC Books. Uh, there will also be four finalists. They'll each receive $1,000. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, let you uh, get the full guidelines from their website. So for more information, www.cbc.ca. And then if you want to go to slash uh, books, uh, should take you, get you close enough, you can find out how to get to their literary prize link. So... Those are the two that I really wanted to cover. There's another one that's open until the end of June, so I'll wait and do that next week. Uh, There are some upcoming events this coming week, so I want to be sure and include them first of all. Yeah, I've got time. Uh, There's uh, It's called the Limestone Writers. The writing group uh, meets every Wednesday except for those in August. Uh, and during uh, the summer, they from May to July, they meet at 6 p.m. in uh, other times of the year at 7. Uh, but at 6 p.m. Uh, from May through July in room 239 of the Stoffer Library. And uh, they meet to critique and support one another's writing. Uh, the genres include uh, fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and memoir are all represented. If you're interested, contact... Uh, D as in David, so D Pratt, P-R-A-T-T, 1939 at hotmail.com. And uh, I've got time for maybe one more. Uh, Saf Decaf uh, has hosted a monthly series since December called the Hot Chocolate Charity Concert Series. Uh, it uh, always, uh, the performers are vetted and announced ahead of time. There are usually a half a dozen or so. Uh, and uh, they always sponsor a, a, some. The, it's a charitable event, so whatever money they collect uh, will go directly to whatever charity uh, they have uh, chosen for the month. And each month has been different. This month's charity will actually be where the venue is being held, and that is the Kingston Community House. Uh, this is coming up uh, tomorrow. Uh, Saturday, May 25th, from 2 to 4.30 p.m. Again, the community house is uh, housed at 99 York Street here in Kingston. And uh, Saf Decaf is Haley Sarfeld and Steph Kilak, who are the musical duo who make that group up. And they also perform as well. So uh, that, again, they're... I, I'm quite sure in Facebook, especially if you just type in the words, 
Saf Decaf's and Hot Chocolate Charity Concert Series. It will take you right to the event page. And it looks like we've just gone over 5 o'clock, so welcome to the second hour. You are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we're located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday from 4 to 6. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour, we're just going to continue with that May 7th, and the journey continues, open mic reading. In it, you're going to hear readings by Gwen Whitford, Beth Marie Michalska, Devin G.A., Colleen Lyons, Quinton Kerr, Corey Mayhew, Sasha Hill, Bob McKenzie, Meg Freer, Ken Chin, Kai Pierce, Lyle Miriam, Ali Dixon, Tia Lunn, and Jill Glatt. Uh, first, though, uh, just like I did in the first hour, just like I do in every hour, uh, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety, content unedited, to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I will have just a tiny bit of time uh, to share a couple of more, two or three more upcoming events that should get us through at least up until next week's show. And uh, I will do that. Uh, and I think I'm going to include a bit of music to take us out uh, this evening as well. So up first, again, from the May 7th event, in the end, the journey continues open mic reading in that monthly series and held. And now in our fifth venue, as I kind of mentioned at the start, at the Elm Cafe and have been there for almost a year and a half already. That doesn't seem possible. Anyway, this was our 10th anniversary event that night, and you're going to hear readings by Gwen Whitford, Beth Marie Mihuska, and Devin G.A. Up next, Gwen Whitford. Let's bring her up. Thank you, Bruce. Good evening, everyone. For those of you who don't know, I've recently returned from Dominica, my beautiful adopted Caribbean country, well, it's still recovering from the ravages of Hurricane Maria in September 2017. There were still opportunities to have some fun. And as always, I enjoyed carnival. If you've ever been to a Caribbean carnival, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you don't know what you're missing. Carnival ball. Time to free up. Put your worries on hold. Lose yourself in revelry. Live only for today. Absorb fun, frolic, and fantasy. Lose sight of reality. Let spirits of carnival's past inhabit the essence of your soul. Bacchanal frenzy brings freedom from the chains that bind. Life's burdens lifted until tomorrow. Ash Wednesday. When you take off your mask to practice penitence throughout 40 days of Lent, while dreaming of next year's Carnival Ball. Thank you. Gwen Whitford, let's give another hand. Up next, Beth Marie Mihalska. Thank you, Bruce. It's such a pleasure to be here to read this evening. 
Um, I sing in a choir. There's a conflict on Tuesdays. So this is the first time in a very long while. I'm going to read a glossa. And um, a glossa is a kind of a structured riff on somebody else's work and uh, has a kind of a tight rhyme scheme. So this one's based on uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley's To a Skylark. And it starts by you reading the last stanza of the work that you're doing the riff on. Enough about that. Okay. Teach me half the gladness that thy brain must know. Such harmonious madness from my lips would flow. The world should listen then as I am listening now. Did you know that each year birds sing different anthems? Bird use science shows these creatures make fresh neurons, growing sound inventions, everlasting newness, from their raw experience setting down connections, chirping voluptuousness, teach me half the gladness. Human brains advance neuroplastic growth. Stem cells produce new forms to specialize. This is not the thought most had, Avovo. Such exciting finds of the last few years, inner cosmic show, that thy brain must know. Mental health providers work to combat stigma. See the fear that different triggers violence. When people still blame victims, nothing's learned. Stale radness systemizes hatred. Yale presents one kindness that transforms much sadness, such harmonious madness. Poet as I am, psychotherapist, making metaphor take its active role, lifting hearts again after they've dropped low. New paths still exist, find support out there. Choose now how to grow, from my lips would flow. <coughs> we still have ears to hear, a chance to comprehend the ways that might bring light to spirits crushed or bent. Sometimes to be a witness is a role to take. Bring stories forward to a power, advocate. Or like the bird's new tune, the skylark warbling high, share something radical, express your voice. Ask how the suffering people think that one could benefit from sources known to you. Seek peers for their thoughts too. Delight might still come through a deeply furrowed brow. The world should listen then, as I am listening now. Thank you. Oh, it's Beth Marie Mihauska. Let's give her another hand. Perfect. Up next, Devin G.A., let's bring him up. Infinity War and beyond. When my metaphorical backbone dies, I close my eyes to view my ego. 
Oh snap, said Raina Thanos, I just got too arrogant. The impotence you feel and the words I say locked in a way like quantum entanglement. Your opinions could have been neutrinos, but this mind is a snow lab. Harsher than you'd be the realistic, the real world. Fantasy is all I know, a child who pushes too far. Burns off one side of the coin with you, the star. So far to you I wish to conquer, beat the Hulk. Collect the stones like I want to bring the band back together. With them by my side, I run an infinite gauntlet. Hunted by others, I simply react. You sit wrong, drawn in the stars with my power. <clears throat> Makes me devour within myself to grow a tower of my insolence. A kid with no morals, more childish than Gambino. Bringing tea and coffee with some sugar and some sweet and low? Your skin like armor? I throw a moon at you and you get pissed. I now shed blood. That was Devin G.A. Let's give him another hand. And you just heard readings uh, by Gwen Whitford, Beth Marie Mihalska, and Devin G.A. at the May 7th event in the end the journey continues open mic reading in that monthly series again held at the Elm Cafe up next in it uh, you're going to hear Colleen Lyons Quentin Kerr and Corey Mayhew up next Colleen Lyons bring her up read off pages but I'm reading off a phone tonight like an actual 21st century person. Um, this one's about family. It's called Aphorism Arranged. My dad's heart is broken into place. It's as if he's softened since all our merit was erased. It's like he has been convinced to put on a hopeful face and bury all the evidence. If he keeps going at this, plate, at this pace, his soul won't find his fingerprints. He's like he's come too tired to chase his dreams stuck in the mess of things, but he stays hopeful just in case he gets another set of wings to propel him through his life, free from his family and his wife, as if the wreckage will be wiped and he can die a happy king. And so I've come to practicing, to twirl and paint and dance and sing. It's like I am remembering how to be a daughter. I am surprised to wake each day with a new set of words to say. And I hear the birds at play. I keep my head above the water and leave my regrets behind. I found my way out of the bind. I succeed at the mortal climb with my wisdom and my rhyme. And I'm not giving up so fast. I seal the anguish of my past. I've yet to have another dance. I'll dress before I dine. And since I have a second chance, it feels so long that I've been blind. I'll leap to mend the mortal lapse if God would be so kind. I am my mother's child. I'm indebted to a family that's more or less been there for me when in distress and scarcity they've helped me to the other side. But I'm wounded in the hide, you see. I don't think we see things clearly. Please, God, give me still another try. 
You haven't seen the best of me, this has been but a test. I see we truly do so tenderly belong free and alive. Still, I don't know where I draw my pride, but I've got a lot of gust inside. And by now I'm sick and tired, so I'm turning things around. Like the times I've nearly died, dearly he's forgiven me with reprimand so fatherly. They truly are so dear to me the many times I've let him down. When a soul like mine has such certainty, a sense that transcends reality, dedicate diurnally, I listen for the signs. And fathers here externally, but I say this self-assuredly, I do not play the victim, I do not wonder why. Because we're quick to point our fingers, fasten necks upon the ringers, while the subtle lesson lingers readily behind. Maybe there was some neglect that could have ultimately led to the losing of my head, failures before I turned 25. But I choose to see the strength I pray to ripen with my age, my family's a play-by-play, aphorism arranged. And I wake to christened day amidst the same sparrows at play who chime invitingly outside and urging me to stay. Stay connected on this plane. They say your rose will never bloom again. You have just this once, my friend. Go look your loved ones in the eye and place your hand upon your heart and start from the beginning. Apologize for the odd overdose or hair of theirs that's thinning on your father's mighty head, but at least you are not dead, Colleen. You do not have to pretend you're a failure. You are winning. And in the world that won't stop spinning, grab a hold of smiles and sinning. I know it's been a while, but I'm rising, rhyming, grinning. Colleen Lyons, give her another hand. Up next, Quentin Cairns, bring him up. Get there, I'll get the mic here. All right, this one's called Spring Cleaning, and it came to me when I was cleaning recently. <clears throat> Four hours in, Still sane but barely, I find sanctuary in redefinition. Knick-knack. Noun. A small object, recognizable by its uselessness and, owing to various nooks and crannies, odd edges and general kitsch, a steadfast resistance to cleanliness. As in, this whole goddamn house is full to bursting with fucking knickknacks. <laughs> Six hours in, and by now hating most things, sopped up with dust, peroxide, I remember that we too, bare-shouldered and languishing, on the perched grass of a hot July weekend, we too were knickknacks. <laughs> Harris, give him another hand. Up next, Corey Mayhew. Let's bring her up. I see the yellow drift as it silently marches toward us. 
translucent clouds fall, moving across the fields, I pitch forward, lie flat with my face in a small shallow foxhole I clawed to protect my lungs. Whose God constructed this? Whose God lays this upon us? Whose God will save us from this acrid hell? The wind changes. I finally pull myself up. Now, I wander the many narrow streets of my neighborhood. The houses are small village homes with front yards full of blooms and tiny tended gardens. Yellow flowers sway in abundant display. Coriopsis stands straight and sturdy. I gaze into the air, looking at the memories. I see George, Frank, Bill, and Terry. Those who saw us used to call it shell shock. Now there is a fancy name for it, post-traumatic stress. A syndrome, a diagnostic order. My wife calls it destruction of world order. It spans from our little house on Main Street to another time, another theater, another family, someone's father, brother, son, or sister. It often turns on you. I have lived another life on the dark side of the moon. Seconds seem like hours. Tomorrow, well, it may never come. A trumpet wails, the piper plays. I can't stop thinking. I can't stop worrying. I can't stop sitting among the yellow flowers drifting. It's Corey Mayhew, let's give her another hand. And you just heard readings by Colleen Lyons, Quentin Kier, and Corey Mayhew at the May 7th event in the And the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Again, that night, it was our 10th anniversary event. Up next from it, here are Sasha Hill, Bob McKenzie, and Meg Freer. Up next, Sasha Hill. Let's bring her up. is going to go to some music and it is called Bruce Willis. If you don't know who Bruce Willis is, he is the bald American actor from Die Hard. 
That is important later on. Read the comic in the middle, spit you out. Blah. Jaw breaking, saw you talking, giving me headaches. My brain breaking, so we broke up. Windy day screaming, highway, lost my voice. Call Atlantis on the phone. Heard double bubble spit up on the cream puff, come up. Innuendo, I don't do those. No, I don't know you. Get over yourself. Lunge in a heart attack. Kiss my ass, knee where you're headed. Where's my Uber under blankets? Overweight piggies eaten by a wolf. Name tag showing up, no one important. I'm your godmother's grandma. Teeth so sharp could cut your head off. Instead, I chopped all my hair off. From afar, could be Aladdin or Jafar. <laughs> wishing on a genie rub up on me. No, just kidding, that would be wishing no one important. What is one to thousands and hundreds, millions of pennies on my wish list? Handful of penis on my not to do list. Sex, drugs. Rock and roll. No, I don't do none of those. So we go get it. Go get it. So we go get it. Go get it. Never coming up. Never coming up. Never coming up because I never left. Multiple of reincarnated babies. Multiple orgasm of the mind. If you don't get it, then you're behind. The times are for rhymes and schemes. Don't listen to me dream of peace where I'm happiest. When I express this, cause it's in me to give, like I need this and live, let arouse, Sasha, fierceness. Beyonce employ my name, I feel like a badass. We employ Beyonce for the confidence, cage creativity, driving me wild, in and out, need me some in and out. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, no I don't do none of those. Bearing my soul with bald windows. When we go down on Brazilians, we go down on millions, millions of Bruce Willis's. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sasha Hill, let's give another hand. Next, Bob McKenzie, bring him up. Sash is taller than me. Um, this is my latest book. I brought copies tonight to sell millions of at $20 a piece. Uh, any funds I get will go toward gas to get me to Coburg on Saturday for a special reading that I'm doing. So thanks for the gas, anyone who does buy this. And my friend Anne accidentally chose the piece for me to read, just so she gets credit for this. It's called Meeting. There are poems outside what I write. Poets beside me burning bushes they made themselves. 
Why choose one smile for the cat's jive is more hap? Blowing crazy lines, Cheshire and glib ivories gleaming dark. Between webbed branches, crimson lips, sinks that flick open, mouthed words like cats have teeth and they glisten pearly white. In the shower, bloody makeup runs, singing in the rain. Not words, but scat, the safe refrain from unknown forms. Words don't do, do they, at times like this, outside time? You face lips, suspended, bleeding in the rain, burning in the bush. Thank you. Bob McKenzie, just give him another hand. Up next, Meg Freer, let's bring her up. The lens adjusted for extraordinary. When stack ice breaks up and undisciplined winter finally gives way to spring, when the rose windows and organ somehow survive the fire at Notre Dame, when the grocery store has tiny quail to balance out the Easter ham, when the clerk, 30 years your junior, calls you miss. When a surprise of jazzy Christian pop music in Korean sails out of church windows. When the sight of a man with a plunger and a pizza makes you smile. When a 100-year-old fruitcake is found in Antarctica still intact. When a granitic knob in the limestone plain is the remains of an ancient mountain. When your son likes to carry in his pocket a small object like a stone or a toy all day long. When he says the opposite of roughhousing is gentle tenting. When you learn Salvador Dali designed the Chupa Chups lollipop wrapper. When you always choose James Taylor's deep greens and blues. You will be able to hear Driftwood's echo of the far away. You will breathe inspiration. Thank you. Let's make Freer, let's give her another hand. And you just heard a, probably a better word, a performance by Sasha Hill and readings by Bob McKenzie and Meg Freer at the May 7th event in the end. The Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Again, now held for almost a year and a half at the Elm Cafe. Up next in it, here are Ken Chin, Kai Pierce, and Lyle Miriam. Up next, Ken Chin. Let's bring him up. Ripples. A pebble drops into a pond. A ripple makes its way across the water. Hardly noticeable before a few leaves floating. The ripple carries the leaves to the stream that drains the water from the pond. There, the leaves remain. Grass is caught by the leaves in the stream. The grass and the leaves catches a few twigs, floating gently down the stream. As the seasons move on, more leaves, grass, and twigs are caught. Finally, a rainstorm brings branches, and the, pond, and the stream is closed. The pond overflows. There's a flood. Are we, not, are we all not like that pebble? Ordinary people, everything we do, 
barely making a ripple in the world. Yet an insignificant ripple may be all it takes to inspire, to motivate, to start a change in the world. Just like that ripple, we may not see the end result of the ripple. All we have heard, we have all heard of Nelson Mandela, Albert Einstein, and Mother Teresa. Could their parents or grandparents imagine the impact they would have upon the world? Yet if not for them, these great people would not have existed. Everything you do, and everything that you do not do, has an impact. Those unexplained wonders of the ancient world, we still do not know how they were built. Some claim aliens were involved. Could it be that technology was lost, destroyed, or someone simply neglected to record it? How much knowledge is lost because of this? Not only our actions, but whatever we say and how we treat each other matters in ways that we could not imagine. Those mass shootings that horrified the world, what finally pushed the killers over the edge? Could someone have done something to prevent it from happening? We are all pebbles dropping in this pond called our world, causing ripples. Everything that we do or say is important. We cannot always know if our actions in the long run will turn out to be good or bad. So be kind to each other, love one another, and hope our ripples combine to form a wave. Thank you. Ken Chin, let's give him another hand. Up next, Kai, let's bring him up. I was reminded of my height when I see Bruce reach down and I'll the microphone up. Um, and that kind of relates to this poem. Hi, can you move your mouth closer to the mic? Yeah, is this better? Thank you. Uh, this poem is called Redwoods. There is probably a forest somewhere where the trees are tall enough to dwarf the massive trunk of myself, to muffle the sounds of my pounding heart. The world feels so tiny sometimes when you do not fit anywhere. How many saplings have found homes in the soil that I have buried my feet in? How many lives have I touched? How, many, how much green have I brought into this world and nourished with my pink morning rains? I am a sleeper agent working for the mockingbirds, reminding giant redwoods that it is from the earth they came and that it is to the earth that they will return. They are happy at the news because there is no place lonelier than the blue sky toward which they must always push without reason. And I cannot escape this news myself, but I am no Ozymandias. I will be happy to leave my mark on the world, no mark but green, but one more pink morning, but one more flower peeking up from the mud that would not have been without me. I do not want to be a redwood. I am a daffodil. That was Kai, let's give him another hand. Up next, Lyle Miriam, let's bring him up. Thank you, it's called uh, Rainy Tuesday, obviously not today. 
sitting in the window, watching passers-by get wet. The beer is nice and cold, but the food hasn't gotten here yet. It's always a good decision, getting in out of the rain. With food and beer in the bargain, it's not causing any pain. The drive time traffic is going by, while their windshield wipers move, like spectators at a tennis match, following their groove. All those people heading home from a day they'd like to forget while I sit here in the window watching passers-by get wet. Thank you. Was Lyle Miriam, let's give another hand. Up next, Chantelle Lavoie, let's bring her up. and thanks to the Elm. Uh, this is a poem a couple of people here have heard that I wrote for the 10,000 Poets for Change in the fall. We talk all the time about where our technology has brought us and less about where it's come from. And that's this, it's called Regret Boxes. They offered the boy Christ gold, frankincense, myrrh. Now it would be tungsten, tantalum, cobalt, also silver and still gold for his smartphone. Most cobalt from the Democratic Republic of Congo is hand dug in illegal mines, children's hands, dark mines. Oh please, I don't want to know, don't talk about lithium batteries in laptops on which I read about lithium batteries. What would our various gods do with this technology if they walked on earth? What would they do about the ones underneath it? A boy explains, there is lots of dust. It is very easy to catch colds and we hurt all over. He could be a chimney sweep calling up to us from the well of time or down from the narrow smoky prison under which we cooked our meat. So much hurt all over. I say, Hey Siri, why is there so much suffering in the world? She gives me a Bible verse. The whole world is lying in the power of the wicked one. Try it, that's what she does give you. <laughs> or she did, that day. How simple that would be. Today I learned of the beach being stolen, stone by stone, from Greece, for souvenirs by lovers of the film Mamma Mia. The government has placed regret boxes at the airport to take in sober second thoughts, and thousands are leaving the stones behind. Why bring pebbles home to dust? The beach is being rebuilt. But blood can't go back into bodies, childhood into children, and machines that speak the world to me mean the world to me. Tech companies are trying. God knows no one wants blood diamonds or blood phones. But it's not possible to say with absolute assurance there is no weak link in the supply chain. One poet wrote to another in 1821 when asked for poetry to protest the plight of the chimney sweeps. I firmly believe any verses whatever would do harm instead of good. It was a warning about sentiment, using art as a valve to let off steam, and feeling smug 
and snug in our words. Only the next dollar counts and the one after that. Thank you. Chantal Lavoie, let's give him another hand. And you just heard readings by Ken Chin, Kai Pierce, Lyle Miriam, and Chantal Lavoie at the May 7th uh, event in the And the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Up next in it, and this will be the last batch of uh, poets you'll hear this afternoon, up next in it are, uh, you'll hear Ellie Dixon, Tia Lunn, and Jill Glatt. Up next, Ellie Dixon, bring her up. Matthias finally expels the breath from his lungs. 
He closes his eyes and forcefully grips his rabbit to his chest. Cut to. Thank you. Kelly Dixon, let's give another hand. Up next, Tia Lunn, let's bring her up. This poem is called Mouth, and it's in four parts. The tongue. Sticky floors get licked clean, tongue against tongue, a rosy pair, lab around one another, wriggle and writhe, drip bitter adhesive, pin flies to the ceiling, rove over my face, wet muscle against cornea, flicking, eyelids sweat so you wouldn't recognize anything else falling from my eyes, and my body busy without me, it left me alone. The breath, a wet heat, heaved into my mouth over and over and over, CPR from a hand dryer, moaning, choking me when you walk in with your wings behind your back, fingers crossed too. Your eyes combust into white coal and I see you turn blue and crystallize, and I hold my breath. The teeth, light bright reflected red flares in our eyes so you keep yours closed, but mine bake wide and rising, stuck to you, off-white twitches, feathers fall into the cracks between the teeth, off-white and tight as they push back against you, too sharp to touch, but you touched me. The throat. Tell me I'm soft as the back of your throat. Tell me you're here to save me. Your eyes open, lasers cut through barriers of steam. Tell me you see me, tell me you found me, and you're here to save me, or at least to rush all the way down with me. I think you're used to falling. Thank you. Was Tia Lunds, give another hand. Up next, Jill Glatt. Bring her up. Okay, so I wrote this poem while I was at Versus um, Intuitive Writing Workshop at Juventus Festival this past weekend. It's not finished yet, but I thought I would share it. It doesn't have a title. Terracotta brick encasing glass behind which I imagine is a kitchen, not mine, and, and you're not there, are you? No, oh, no. I imagine you're not there, but perhaps you've just left in a hurry on your way to meet your lover or attend afternoon mass just around the corner or pick up your child who you see on the weekends or visit the market. They're selling potted pansies, lemon balm, agate slices, amongst other things you don't need, but you feel that you might. And so you've left, while the kitchen is all alone. It rests. It chills your milk within the fridge. It holds your blender within its cabinets, the one you never use except for making pesto, which you don't anymore because your ex took the pasta machine, so what's the point? The kitchen hums, 
just slightly. There's no tune, though if there were, it would be a little off-key. The kitchen hasn't had the opportunity to take vocal lessons, of course. It has been there, sometimes resting, sometimes not. Since the apartment was renovated, I can't remember when. I can't remember, it's a kitchen. But I'm imagining this anyways. So let's say it can remember. The time you almost burned the house down because you put a pot of rice on the stove and then took a nap. Or when you sat on the floor for hours on the hottest night of the year with ice packs under your legs because there was no air conditioning. Or when you had that girl over for dinner and you sipped boxed wine and made butter chicken and kissed each other while leaning against the dishwasher. It's adorned with birthday cards affixed to the fridge, aloe vera plants, fraying tea towels, receipts scattered across the counter, mason jars. I imagine it considers you both as very close housemates, or perhaps good friends even. You do see each other almost every day, and it doesn't really know many other people. So if you were to move out, I imagine you would be missed. It's waiting for you now, just resting and humming. Thank you. Coach Jill Glatt, let's give another hand. And you just heard uh, readings by Ali Dixon, Tia Lunn, and Jill Glatt at the May 7th event in the And the Journey Continues open mic reading in that monthly series. Again, we were celebrating our 10th anniversary that evening, and again, uh, they are held at the Elm Cafe. Let's go ahead and do this, and I will be right back. Enjoy camping, cottaging, hiking, or being outdoors after a long winter? We are not alone. Every summer, Ontarians far and wide escape the daily grind and head to the great outdoors. But holidays have the ability to turn deadly due to Lyme disease, a potentially fatal disease caused by the bite of a black-legged tick, known as a deer tick. Causing similar symptoms to the flu, such as fever, headache, fatigue, muscle and joint pain, However, if you see a red, bullseye-type rash, chances are you don't have the flu. Take a few precautions to make sure Lyme disease doesn't ruin your vacation this year. Avoid shrubs and tall grassy areas where black-legged ticks are known to live. Bug repellent containing DEET is an effective way to prevent ticks from biting you. Cover up. When you're in areas that are known to have ticks, cover all exposed areas of your body. Wear white so you're able to see if a black tick is on you. Infected ticks are primarily found along the north shores of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, and the St. Lawrence River. Be prepared this summer, and don't get ticked off. classical music and what it's doing today. Listen to Counterpoint, hosted by myself, Selena Cirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7.
The staff at Martha's Table provides a caring place where people in need can have nutritious meal for only $1. Now you can get involved in this great cause. Martha's Table is looking for volunteers to help in the kitchen, at the drop-in center, picking up food, or even being a friendly face at fundraising events. Volunteer orientation is every Thursday at 4.30 in the drop-in center, and volunteers must be 14 years of age or older. You can donate using a credit card through marthastable.ca, or you can send your donation by mail, cash, check, or bank draft. Martha's Table, 629 Princess Street. Whether it's volunteering, donating, or anything else that you can offer Martha's Table, visit their website, marthastable.ca. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let the hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock and... We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And I do have uh, maybe almost five minutes uh, for some upcoming events, and there are several, so I will do that. But just so I don't get cut off, I would like to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, You have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM, uh, located again in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queens on... uh, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. Uh, the one thing I will mention, I try to do at the end of each hour, is that I let you know that each hour will be uploaded to my blog space for, for it shortly after the show ends and I get home. And, and that site is that blog space uh, blog site is finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. Uh, those will remain there for four years. So I will. Uh, Go ahead and go back to the list. Uh, also happening tomorrow afternoon, I'd mentioned Safety Calf uh, and their uh, chocolate charity uh, monthly series. There's another series. It's Modern Fuel Artist Run Center. They're a read-in, uh, and this is their fourth in that series. That is happening tomorrow afternoon from 1 to 2.30, so Saturday, May 25th. I'm just going to, and it's uh, there, it is, what it is is a reading salon series featuring a selection of short texts recommended by artists of uh, Modern Fuel Artist Run Center's current exhibitions, uh, or sometimes even their staff. Uh, This reading salon in this series, uh, coming up tomorrow, will offer readings recommended by Annette Hagel, and it's in the context of... Their exhibition called Meech, I believe, Home. And, uh, yep, uh, go to www.modernfield.org slash readin, and it will give you even way more information. Uh, for my friends and those I know in Toronto, I will be there on Sunday launching my fourth collection of uh, poetry, along with Don Goodridge and uh, Ava Kolask. I'm sorry about probably Kolask. I think, and that is correct. I am sorry if I have 
mispronounced it. Uh, Don, uh, Don will be launching his uh, the Starbrushed Horizon, and uh, Ava will be launching her Whatever We Are. Uh, mine is called An Evening Absence, Still Waiting for Moon. There will also uh, the editor. It's a, it's a John B. Lee's signature series imprint with Hiddenbrook Press, and John B. Lee will also be a guest reader as well. It is going to be this Sunday, uh, May 26, 2 to 4.30 p.m., and will be held at the Supermarket Cafe in Kensington Market. Uh, the Supermarket Cafe is also lo- it is exactly located at 268 Augusta Avenue in Toronto. Uh, there is a Facebook event page for it, but you can also check uh, Hiddenbrook Press's page, so uh, com. If you're here in Kingston that same Sunday evening, uh, it's a music and poetry event featuring Cloud Circuit. I believe they're from Montreal. And locally, Armand Garnett-Rufo and Alyssa Cooper um, will be doing readings. And uh, uh, Kyoko Ogada will be doing uh, drumming. So it's going to be a little bit of music and also uh, spoken words. So... That's pretty cool, and it'll be a wonderful event. That's I should tell you where it is. It's going to be held Sunday again, this Sunday at 7 p.m. starts at Something Else Records, which, if you don't know, is a new record store, relatively new, uh, and it's at 207A Wellington Street in Kingston, so it's right between Queen and Princess on Wellington. There is also a book launch and reading, a book launch and reading coming up. Uh, Teresa Greenwood will be reading from and launching her new book, What You Take With You. Uh, The book tells a personal story of the Fort McMurray wildfire, uh, her losses, her grief, her discoveries, and her steps to recover. That is going to be held this coming Thursday, May 30th at 7 p.m. at Novel Idea Bookstore, which is right on the corner of Princess and Baggett. Uh, There is also coming up next week uh, the 2019 Limestone uh, Genre Expo. That's an annual series. It's going to be held at the Kingston Frontenac Public Library this year, Central Branch, 130 Johnson Street. The night before that, uh, there will be uh, uh, a reading. This is a free event. Uh, I will be one of those, but it will include Alyssa Cooper, and uh, Catherine per- uh, Prairie, I believe Eric Folsom might be there as well. It's going to be at 7 p.m. at the Merchant Tap House. And then there's one that follows, but that catches you up to a week from now. I do want to thank you for having tuned in today. Please do stay tuned for two hours of East Coast Music with a show called Saltwater Music, hosted by Rob Carnell. How about a little Mazzy Star to take us there? This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.